So I'm so grateful that we have the Moxnesses here with us uh, this, this day. Uh, it's, it's such a good reminder. And we talked about it last week when Tim Hall was here sharing the work that his family is, is doing in Asia. Uh, we, are, we always want to be reminded of what God is doing in this building and outside of it, in Thornton, the surrounding communities, and to the ends of this earth. We are called to make disciples and so we are just so honored and full of joy when we get to see people coming to Jesus. That, that should enliven us. It, it is the greatest thing that we get to see accomplished. I, I love as well in the video of, of getting to see the joy of the, on the look of the faces of receiving a Bible, a New Testament in their language for the first time. And it's, it's a shame to me that, that, at least in my life, I don't always feel that same joy when I go to the Bible. There, there's an aspect to it to where it's become a little bit more common to us. I, I think this past week I ordered a couple new Bibles and I didn't even have to leave the house to order them. I didn't have to leave the house to get them brought to me. They were delivered. And, and when I received them, I think the greatest source of joy for me is that I got them for 30% off. And yet we should always approach the Bible with that sort of joy, not out of obligation, but this is the word of the Lord, written and delivered to us, faithfully preserved in a language that we can read and understand to know what God is teaching us, to find understanding and guidance, to find life and peace, joy, and to know the God of the universe is speaking to us through it. It's so good that the Bible, the Bible has become a commodity. We want all people to know and, and hear from God as well. And yet, if it becomes so common to us that it's just part of our routine, we're missing out. We hopefully read it on our own. We hopefully read it in our life groups, our men's and women's groups, our, our uh, kids and student ministries when we're with them. We hopefully bring it and open it up approximately 25 minutes into a worship service every Sunday. And yet, if it's just a routine for us, we are missing the vibrancy that comes from this book. The God of the universe is speaking to you through it. And that's why we're doing this series, why we're going through the book of Hebrews. We saw last week that God has spoken in many times in many ways, but now he has spoken to us through his son that we read about in our Bibles. And this uh, way that he's speaking, he's revealing himself to his people. He wants to be known. He wants to know his people. And he speaks through his son now in this more clear and complete way than he ever has done so before. The book of Hebrews is about this Jesus and how he is greater than anything else we might try to fill our lives with. And this Sunday, we will learn that Jesus is greater than the angels. Now, I get it. This may be convincing some of us that breathing air would be pretty good for you. Like, of course Jesus is greater than the angels. Who's debating that? And if we have that reaction, I, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One, I, I think we're in a different spot than the original recipients of this, of this book would have been. But I also think that we might have a bit too low of a view of angels. And so I want to do two things this morning. I want to show us why angels are amazing. And then I want to undo some of that work to show us why Jesus is greater. So first off, let's talk about what are angels. And all we have to do is look at art to understand angels, right? I mean, angels are naked babies. 
Angels are figures that wear white clothes and play orchestral music. Or, despite being told in the Bible that they appear as, as uh, normal human beings in this Middle Eastern culture, angels are always white people. I think about the arts that I have as well when I was growing up and how they tell me about angels uh, in addition. Uh, I think one person knew the reference for service, so let's do it again. Uh, does anyone know the movie Michael? It has uh, Andy McDowell in her heyday uh, and, and um, John Travolta playing this foul-mouthed, chain-smoking angel. Apparently, that's what angels are like. Or a more common reference, what angels do is they help struggling sports teams, especially when uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's dad is, is, is going to leave him. They help this team and angels in the outfield. And one thing that I was, I was having a hard time with, I, there's a few exceptions, but I'm not seeing angels depicted as regularly in arts, whether that's paintings or writings or movies. You might know of a few, but they, they seem much more irregular than when I was growing up. And on one hand, this is good because all those depictions of angels that I've said are awful. But on the other hand, I think it reveals something about us. I don't think we think about angels all that often. And maybe you're an exception to that, but at least this will be true of every person in this room. We think of angels less often than they appear in the Bible, because angels are all over the Bible. I mean, just in the first few pages, you come across three important figures, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and each one of them was confronted with an angel at some point. God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, and then they were guided, they were protected by angels. This one was shocking for me. The book of Judges, which we may not think about all that often anyways, the book of Judges references angels 18 times alone. Then you think of how angels led kings like David. They ministered to prophets like Elijah and Daniel and Zechariah and Isaiah. Then you get to the New Testament and you see angels announcing the birth of Jesus to Mary and Joseph and to the world through the shepherds. Then at the end of Jesus' life, you get to the resurrection and who is there to announce that to those who come to the empty tomb? Angels. The early stages of the church, you see angels at work constantly. There's jailbreaks that are, that are done by angels to bring out the wrongfully imprisoned uh, disciples. And then the angels are there to teach Peter and Cornelius that, the, that God's people will be made up of all the people of the earth. Angels are everywhere through the Bible. There is not a moment in Israel or the church's history that we don't see them. And another way to put that, there is not a moment when we do not see God working through angels for the sake of his people. They're there guiding they're bringing God's will to his people. And all the while, they're never-endingly, never-tiringly worshiping our majestic God. And one of the greatest works that we see from angels, and the reason why they're mentioned in this section of Hebrews in general, spoilers for next week's sermon, by the way, uh, they bring God's law, God's instruction, God's standard for righteousness and holiness. And that is an incredible work. Angels are amazing. And that's what they do, let alone what they're like. We, we don't fully know. There's, there's times uh, Hebrews will later go on to say that we might entertain angels without even realizing it. So they could appear human-like. But then the most common phrase used by angels when they appear to people is, do not be afraid. Uh, 
implying that something about their appearance would cause us to be afraid at the sight of them. And this is why I'm so disappointed by how they're depicted in art. Maybe this is different for some of you parents in here, but I've never been afraid of a naked baby. And yet the response to these angels when they are seen is people fall down and want to worship them, which they quickly stop because that's not their role. Angels are amazing. Angels are incredible. And, and as we said, there has never been a time when God did not work through them for the good of his people. And this is where I think that we're at a different spot than those who originally received this book of Hebrews. They had a greater expectation that angels would work in their lives than we do, I think. And this isn't the point of the passage, so you guys can have this just for free, but how incredible is it? How much love does it show that God would take these creatures, these falling down in front of them creatures, these incredible ones that have existed longer than we have? They're created, yes, they have a start, but they exist longer than we do. God says, I'm going to send those which we look at as uh, we could put majesty on them, and it has happened. God says, I want my people to be cared for by them. What does that tell you about how your God loves and cares for you. I mean, look at Hebrews 1 verse 14, where it says, I think to this effect, it says, are they, these angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of whom? Those who are to inherit salvation for God's people. These incredible creatures are sent out to care for and support and guide God's people. That ought to just make us astonished by how much God loves us and cares for us, that he would send these incredible creatures to do his will for our sakes, to minister to us. Angels are amazing, but Jesus is greater. As we work through this passage, we'll see seven Old Testament quotations that tell us why Jesus is greater than angels, these incredible creatures that we just get a moment to look at why they are amazing, and yet we can walk away knowing that Jesus is better in every way. As we read these seven uh, Old Testament quotations, I think it can be summarized in, in three different ways that Jesus is greater than the angels. He alone is called the Son. He is worshiped by them and he rules over them. So Jesus is greater than the angels because he is called the Son. He is worshiped by angels, and he rules over the angels. We'll take those in part as we walk through this passage together, but uh, in the first two quotations, we will see that Jesus is greater than the angels because he alone is called the Son. Uh, we'll pick that up, and I'm going to backtrack to verse 4 for this. So we read 1 through 4 last week. It was about why G who Jesus is and what he's done and why he is incredible. And now we get to this part of verse 4. It says, Having become as much superior, he is greater than the angels, as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Verse 5, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, to get, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to, to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So Jesus is greater than the angels because he is called son by God. And on the surface, as we read this passage, the argument is pretty straightforward. To which of the angels has God ever called them son? None of them. Which is the, to which of the angels has God ever said, I will be a father to you? None of them. Well, he says that to Jesus. So therefore, Jesus is greater. And to prove that, we get these two Old Testament quotations that happen here. 
And we talked last week about how the book of Hebrews quotes from the Old Testament extensively. And my challenge for us was to go and read those passages in its original context in the Old Testament. I'm going to double down on that challenge because we have seven of them this week, and I do not have time to give each one of those passages justice. So go back, check my work, see if I'm reading these passages in context the, the proper way, the right way. So to do this, instead, I want to look at two passages. One and a half passages for time. Uh, We'll look at one and a half of them. The first one that's quoted and the last one that's quoted in this section. And the reason for doing this is these two passages will show up regularly throughout the book of Hebrews. And it also kind of gives us a good test case as to how is this author reading the Old Testament. So let's go to that first quotation, which uh, comes to us from Psalm chapter 2. If You might have a footnote there that actually tells you the same thing. So let's turn over to Psalm chapter 2. And as we're doing so, let me give a little bit of the background for this this psalm. So we don't know who wrote this originally, but it is uh, one that's talking about how there are those who go against God. There are those who go against God's people as well. But God is going to have a response to that. God is going to have a way to make all things right. And that's going to come by him uh, setting up a king over this world, over his people to make all things right. We see the setup in verse 2 uh, of Psalm 2. It says, The kings of this, uh, the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So as we said, there are those who are working against God and God's people. The hope comes in verse 6 with the plan to set in place this king over God's people to bring justice and a care and support for God's people, Israel, in this. And it's in that context that we get verse 7, which is what we quoted from Hebrews. And this is what verse 7 says. I, this is from the perspective of that king that has been placed, I will tell the decree, the Lord says to me, to this king that has been placed, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And so God is going to work through this king. He's going to be as close to him as a father is to a son to bring care and support for his people Israel. And the encouragement is this, is to continue to be faithful to God. Look at verses 10 and 11. It says, Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. So again, the point of the passage is this. There are those going against God and God's people. God will set in place a king that he will be as close to as a father is to a son. And as long as that king remains faithful to him, he will continue to care for and support his people. This passage was so important that it was used in coronations in Israel to bring in a new king, to both set them on the right track of following after God, but also to show their status within the community. God is working for you to care for the people. Now, the question we ask is, where's Jesus? We read in Hebrews that this was applied to Jesus as to why he is God's son, why he is greater than the angels. And if this is about kings in Israel, what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, it's why you shouldn't do what we did, which is skip over verse 8. So let's go there now. Verse 8 says this. So God's still telling this, this king figure, "'Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession.'" So question for us, Uh, which of the Israel kings ever had the nations their heritage or the ends of the earth their possession? Let let me ask it a different way. Which of the kings of Israel ruled over all the earth? 
None of them. And so while there is a fulfillment that happens way, way long ago in every king of Israel, there's this hope for more that will come later. A king who will come, who will reign and rule over all. This is a really important principle that we get this because we see this all the time in how the New Testament uses the Old Testament. God often works in patterns. He works in ways that are similar. So as we read Old Testament passages, there is an initial fulfillment, but then there is a greater fulfillment that we see in either the life of Jesus or in the return of Jesus. So here, as we read this passage, it's about the king of Israel and how in each one of those, God is working through them to care and support his people. That's the initial fulfillment. But then there's this hope for more that will come, this king who will reign and rule over all the earth, and we realize that is Jesus, who is enthroned in the most unlikely of places. He is enthroned on a cross, who proves to be the rightful ruler of all this world. You you following me on that? Initial fulfillment, greater fulfillment. And so this verse can be applied to Jesus, even though he was never a king over Israel, but he is king over all. And so we can look at the passages that talk about this king who will come, who is king over all, and those can be applied to Jesus as well. That is why Jesus can be called my son. And I encourage you to look for these patterns of initial fulfillment and greater fulfillment. Again, we don't have time to get into the next one in 2 Samuel 7. I encourage you to read that on your own, and you will see these. I'll even set you up by giving you the answers. Initial fulfillment, David's son Solomon. Greater fulfillment comes through in Jesus. And so while Jesus was never an actual king over Israel, he is king over all. So we look at the passages about that, and they say that he is God's son. Because nothing else has ever been called that, because no one has ever been as faithful as Jesus has been. He is son in a unique way, greater than any person and greater than any angel. Jesus is greater than the angels because he alone is called son. Jesus is greater than the angels because he is also worshipped by the angels. Uh, Flip back over to Hebrews 1 if you haven't already, and we're going to pick it up in verses 6 and 7. It says this, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. Again, the the argument on the surface is fairly straightforward. Jesus is worshiped by the angels. The angels are ministers. They are not worshiped. So therefore, since they are worshiping Jesus, he is greater than them. But again, if we go back to the Old Testament passages, which we don't have time to do, there's so much more that we get from this. We move from Jesus being king over all to now he's receiving what is only given to God. Passages that originally spoken just to God are now being talked about to him. We don't have time to do all that, so we'll we'll stick more surface on this to where Jesus is receiving this worship from the angels. See, the angels don't call the shots. Their role is one of ministering, of supporting, of assisting, and and helping. So they do not receive any worship. This might make us think back to what we said just a few minutes ago, that the temptation of those who see the angels is to fall down and worship for them, but it's almost always quickly corrected. No, 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 don't worship me. I'm created being as well. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus receives the worship which he is rightfully allowed to do, and not just worship from us, but worship from the angels themselves as well. So if angels are worshiping Jesus, he clearly is greater than the angels. 
Jesus is greater than the angels because he is called son, because he is worshiped by the angels, and because he rules over the angels. We'll finish out our our passage together. Verse 8 says, But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? So we get all these these quotations, and the first two in particular tell us something that is incredible. Jesus is on a throne. Jesus is reigning and ruling, and he's doing so forever, for eternity. Everything else will wear out like a garment. I thought back to... um, how Emily and I have been married about five and a half years now. And, and when we were getting ready to move into our first apartment, we were going through all of my stuff to see what would actually survive and make it to that first apartment. And we went through one of my drawers and, and uh, was coming to the conclusion that uh, most of what I owned was garbage at the time. And, and this was no more clear than in one particular drawer where I found like t-shirts crumpled up in the back that I guess I had forgotten that I had. And, and one of those shirts was, it was my middle school PE shirt uh, from the school I attended just for sixth grade. And as you can imagine, this shirt had seen better days. The, the logo was just about completely faded off. There were holes over it from either usage or from insects. And where there weren't holes, the fabric was so thin that it was at risk of producing more holes at any second now. Well, that's what we hear is the fate of this world and everything in it. This world is a middle school PE shirt. It will wear out. It will fade. And yet Jesus is on a throne, and that throne is forever. This Jesus who is the Son, this Jesus who is, is uh, receiving worship, he is king over all in this crazy world when everything feels so outside of our control and trying to grasp onto it more just makes it feel like more f- is fleeting, running away from us, getting out of hand. That isn't the case for our Jesus. He is reigning and he is ruling from the day that he was raised, from before that to eternity going forward. And we end in this quotation from Psalm 110. As I said, I want to spend uh, just a little bit of time on here, not as much as we got to do for Psalm 2, but uh, I want to spend time on these two Psalms because we see them regularly throughout Hebrews, as I said. And we've already seen some of the language before. In the first four verses, we saw Jesus get called Son, which is Psalm 2. We hear that Jesus sits at the right hand of of the Father, which is Psalm 110. And so these are both really important because they speak of Jesus' status and also in his completed work. He is seated at the right hand, showing that all he promised to do has been done. And as you read through Psalm 110, this one is written by David. And it's looking forward to a king that will come. In all that David did in his rule and reign over Israel, he is hopeful for the day when one will come that will be greater even than him. And in every single king that followed David, oh, is this the one? Is it Solomon? 
Is he the one? Is it, is it this king? Is he the one who will make all things right? And there's this hope. Every single king and the years without them for this king to come and we see fully realized in the coming of Jesus. Jesus, who's come to rule and reign on a throne forever. And so he is greater than any other king. And he is greater even than the angels. As we read this passage, we might have so many questions. What else are angels like? What else do we know about them? Uh, I know that there's, there's like other types of angels. What's going on with that? How come some of them have names? And those are really good questions to ask, but they're not the point of the passage. Angels point to something greater than themselves, and they point to Jesus. So what is our takeaway from all this? We, we said in the beginning, like, Jesus is greater than the angels. Of course, who is arguing against that? So what does this have to do with our lives? Well, as I look at this passage, I, I think there's a couple of things that we could take away from it. Let me start with a really small one uh, for us first. As we read throughout these Old Testament quotations about Jesus, if we think that the Old Testament is merely predicting Jesus, we're, we're missing something really important. As we go passage by passage throughout this, this isn't just predicting something, it is telling us about something. Jesus didn't stumble into being the Messiah. Jesus didn't accidentally happen to be the one who would make all things right. No, he was predicted, but he was taught about from the very foundations of this world. See, the Old Testament is about Jesus. So as we go through these passages, we learn more and more about him who is greater. We learn more and more about our Jesus. We said last week, God has revealed himself most clearly and completely in the person and work of Jesus. And the best way to know Jesus is to read our Old Testament. But the greater takeaway for us is that we might be wanting more. Maybe we're not hoping for angels to appear or to work in our lives like the, the, the original recipients of Hebrews was, but we might be hoping for more and following after God. Maybe we want there to be an appearance for God to break into our lives in the way that he has done throughout the Bible. Maybe we're hoping for, for some clear declaration from him that would just get away with all of our doubts. Maybe we're hoping for a miracle that would remove some ailment to get rid of some obstacle, or even just for the days we forgot our lunch. Jesus, I'm not asking you to feed 5,000 people, just the one. Maybe we aren't hoping for angels, but we're praying for the work that they have done throughout the Bible. And I hope that we do not miss out on the privileged position that we are said to be in. I get the wanting for more. I experience it all the time. And yet what we're told here is the greater message has come. Long before, God spoke in many times and many ways, but now he has spoken through the Son. I hope we see that privileged position. We might be asking for the miraculous, but it's been greater than that because the miracle has already been done. God put on flesh. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. God is with his people. Maybe we're asking for the audible voice, but something greater has happened. God is dwelling with his people. I hope we do not take the privileged place that we are in for granted because we have Jesus 
And that is greater than any message or anything could ever possibly be. Jesus, who is called the Son, who ushers us in to be sons and daughters of God as well. Jesus, who is worthy of worship. So in all that we do, in all that we are, we are responding to his great works and worshiping him. Jesus, who is reigning and ruling over all, to where we feel so out of control and lost and broken and hiding and full of shame and guilt, Jesus is on a throne making all things right. While we may hope for more, while we may hope for angels or at least the work that they do, we see in every time, in every place, that Jesus is greater.